And don't forget you can stream all of the episodes on Myco. Hello and welcome back to the She Leads The Way podcast, where we celebrate women in business and women in life. I'm your host, Nikki Bedford, and today's guest is Victoria Yampolsky. She is a serial entrepreneur, she is a startup advisor, and she is a strategic CFO. She's also the president and founder of The Startup Station, and she's the CEO and co-founder of PowerUp, which is the company that we're actually collaborating on. She leads the way as the official, official media partner for, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll also talk today about Victoria's incredible journey, her insights, and essentially life as an entrepreneur. So Victoria, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Nikki. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so excited to welcome you in New York City. Oh my gosh, it's, I'm so happy to be here. But I'd love to first ask you a bit about your background. Tell me a bit about you, where you've come from, and what led you to becoming an entrepreneur. Sure. You know, when I think about my journey, I think that all my life I was looking for passion. And I was looking for passion in multiple places. And for me, entrepreneurship became that hub that allows me to express myself in various ways. But when, you know, my journey was not a straight line and I definitely did not know even a year ago that I would be where I am today. Mm. So to back up, I was born in Russia in a very beautiful city, St. Petersburg. Beautiful. And I came to the United States about 30 years ago. 30? Almost 30. Oh, wow. Most of my life, most of my life I spent here. Uh, and actually most of my life has been spent in New York City, which I love dearly. Mm. So a city that gives me amazing energy. Yes. And inspiration and motivation and uh an ability to meet so many different, incredibly smart people. Yes. I'm very lucky to live here. So um, I came, I uh, pursued a very practical way. I became a computer science major at Cornell University, and I thought I'm going to become a programmer. Uh, towards the uh, end of my undergraduate journey, I realized this was not my passion. I mm. wanted to move more to the business side. So I pursued IT consulting, realized this was not my passion either. So I thought, oh, I was in uh, financial services and IT consulting. Maybe I should move to finance. In order to move to finance, I went to business school and then began working on Wall Street. Oh, Wall Street. Wall Street, it's a great name. Uh, but in terms of a workplace, it was a very intense environment. Yeah, cutthroat. I would say not a lot of room for creativity, okay. a lot of FaceTime hours, you know, long hours, the work that wasn't necessarily as inspiring as I wish it would have mm. been. Again, my um, creative pursuits and uh, were not satisfied. I did not see my career on Wall Street. And I quit my very lucrative and very well-paying job to try my hand in media and entertainment. <laughs> and that may seem like a complete diversion yeah. and path in finance and technology, but it's actually not because I've also been an actress. And I've been acting uh, from, um, you know, as I was growing up in Russia in the professional theater, and I also was acting while I was studying for both, you know, both as a computer science major and yeah. in school. So I was always um, attracted by, I would say, quantitative and creative parts of my life. And that's why a corporate job was very difficult for me to enjoy because it always focused on only one part of what I was interested in. So I decided to become a film producer. And without wait a second, random. So you were film producer first. <laughs> I decided to. Tr That's to, incredible. To try yeah. To my hand and produce. What was films. it that attracted you to that? Theater. After I did some research, I seemed to be an area where it was more difficult to make money, and also I knew no wealthy people who could give me any money for producing your broadcast okay. shows. 
So it just seemed that Phil was a more practical mm. way. It was still very difficult. Yes. But it just seemed a little bit easier than theater. So that's why I went in there and I went from their financial and business point of view and spent two and a half years trying to raise uh, money for a slate of films and uh, made all of the mistakes and the first time entrepreneur makes. First, I tried to raise $165 million. <laughs> I know and, that. Yeah, everybody has this reaction, but this was not my reaction when I tried to You're raise. like, yes, I will make $165 million. That's what, you know, I added up how much money I needed, and that was the amount that it added up to. Okay. Whether I was realistic or not, I really, like, did not know because I've never done it. Of course. And having never failed up to this point in my life, I wasn't afraid. I was mm, too arrogant. Good on you. And, well, good and bad because had I had more... Um, perspective mm. and uh, talk to more people and learn some of the things that I did not know, maybe I wouldn't have made the same mistakes that I did because it was my first time doing everything. But we did get pretty far uh, up to some point, but then we partnered up with some people who weren't, uh, who they said they were and everything fell apart in a very traumatic way uh. after two and a half years. But I would say that this was my character building experience yes. and I definitely would not have been where I am right now, had I not failed so majorly back then and learned, you know, the uh, importance of the team, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who you can trust, the real importance of um, validating the product market fit and not trying mm -hmm. to do something that has um, no relevance in the market. Just yeah. because it hasn't been done, it doesn't necessarily mean that it yeah, has to be done. And so all of this led me, you know, after this uh, venture winded down, I decided to switch to startups because I saw that the same problem that a lot of producers had where they were enamored with their venture, yeah. their movie or their creation, and uh, they just wanted to get it made. And they didn't really care who's going to see it or how to make money from it the story of a lot of creative filmmakers. And unfortunately, from the business side, that doesn't always make sense. And that's why a lot of the creative projects don't make money. Mm. They don't find their audience. They don't find distribution. Investors never get their money back, etc. The same problem is exists in the startup world where a lot of startup founders, where they come from the technology side or the product side, they get enamored with their idea and they are how they're going to change the world and what a cool new thing they come up yeah. with without quite thinking whether people actually need it, whether it solves the problem in a way that mm. needs to be solved or how to bring it to market. Some ideas are just meant to be ideas. They're not meant to be businesses. So I thought I can take my expertise and help startup founders monetize their ideas and raise money to make their dreams a reality. And that's what give birth to the startup station, which began uh, as a consulting firm very quickly focused on finance because from the marketing perspective, either you know what cash flow is or you don't. Yes. It was very easy to explain like whether you need help or not. And then expanded into education. And education is a very important aspect of what the startup station does because that's how you can impact many. Yeah. And as a startup founder, as an executive, you really should own all parts of your business. Mm. Not to the point where you can do the work, but you should know enough so that you can speak to whoever leading that part of the business and be able mm. to make decisions. And uh, finance is a weak point for a lot of entrepreneurs and especially women. It yeah. uh, presents a lot of fear. And it is my uh, goal to demystify it I and to present finance as a language with which uh, your company speaks to you. Mm. 
And if you want to nurture your company as a baby and allow it to be uh, whatever it can be, realize its full potential, don't you want to speak the language yes, and absolutely. understand what it's telling you and help the company uh, where it needs help? Yeah. I think you've answered my question because my next question was going to be in your experience and working with startups, where do you see that females or startup people, startups in general need the most help? Where are they not spending the most amount of time or where do they not have the most amount of education or experience? So uh, I would say it depends on the founder's background, mm. right? If you come from a financial background, that's not going to be an area where you need help, but you may need help in sales, yes. in marketing, or in uh, product development. If you come from a technology background, a product background, then sales, marketing, and finance would be the areas where mm. you lack. For a lot of founders, it's also um, the entrepreneurial journey where you have to very quickly adjust to a new environment in a uh, high growth piece. Yes. Uh, and that requires hiring people with different expertise and responding to market feedback and raising capital, et cetera. And depending on your career trajectory, you may or may not have certain experiences, or certainly unless you've built a company once, you yes. have everything, right? That's why uh, surrounding yourself with an incredible support network with a team of advisors, mm. building a team that is core to you is so crucial because you're not alone and you're also... Uh, don't know everything. Yeah. But on top of that, uh, you only have, no matter how smart you are, it's only one brain. So yes. the more brains that you trust you have access to, the better result is going to be. Did you find that when you were moving into entrepreneurship that the one thing that you needed was a supportive network around you or did you find that out later? It was actually a journey for me because when my film venture failed, yes. I was let down by certain people that I worked with. And I got very scared. Uh, to work with other people. And for many years, I actually worked alone. And I want to talk about um, limiting beliefs yes, and how important it is for us to realize what they are. Because when you believe something, you don't question it. Mm. And I didn't question that belief. I thought this is the right thing for me. For other people, it, other things may be right. But for me, this is where I felt comfortable because of my fear of being let down again. Yes, And uh, only... Three years ago, I was lucky to meet a woman whom I've known before, who was also in the startup world. She worked with um, companies, connecting them with investors, and we decided to do some events together. And that was the first time when I realized that you can trust somebody and have a productive relationship yeah. with it, and the result will be better than if I did it alone because she brought things to the table that I didn't have. And this opened my eyes to being able to... Um, allow the possibility mm. that you can work, that I can work with others again, and it doesn't need to yeah. uh, end up in a disaster situation. And after having done even more work on myself and going to the root of why issues, I now am so lucky to have people around me in all of my ventures around the world. And I was like, you're lucky to meet you <laughs> and start our relationship. And I now know that I have the tools to create a partnership and create the foundation and uh, also for resolving disagreements. And because I have this confidence, I'm not afraid to work with yes. people anymore. 
and I know uh, that I can um, connect with people much more easily. As well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've seen so. that firsthand. You're an extremely experienced networker, and <laughs> you're very well known in this uh, community. So, and I'm also grateful for the referrals as well. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk more about the startup station. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit about? I know that we spoke about what the startup station is, but can you tell me about why you built the startup station to begin with? Uh, well, I wanted to solve the problem where I could uh, allow founders to make their dreams come true. And uh, my expertise was in finance, so I wanted to enable them to make sure to build a foundation where their ventures would be financially feasible and they can present their ventures in the light which will allow them to attract capital. Mm. Because if you come from uh, an environment where you're more focused on technology or more focused on product, your explanation of why this venture is good will be too technical. Yes. Whereas when you talk to investors who are interested in the business aspects, they care about other things more. And uh, from the computer science perspective, I was interested in systematizing the process of building a financial model, a financial plan for companies. So I created the whole methodology of how to model strategic decisions of companies and creating a company brain that connects these decisions to the financial outcomes. Yes. And so I, I call this a brain that's really a financial model. And this uh, serves both as an incredibly efficient communication tool with investors mm. because it can really show, hey, we're planning to do this. And this is why we're going to get this results. Yes. And then this is why we need that mm. much money. And this is how we're going to monitor progress. But also as you begin executing and you implement the model in the financial systems, it will uh, allow you to collect market feedback in a very structured and consistent way and adjust the strategy based on what's happening in the real world. And so the consulting part of the business is really focused on those two aspects, whether it's um, the company was fundraising or yeah. that already raised money and needs to execute. And on the education side, you know, somebody is um, in the pre-seed stage or early stage founder can't really afford to hire somebody and wants to learn finance and wants to learn how to build their financial plan. They can take classes in accounting or financial modeling and valuation and learn how to do it themselves. But I also recommend other classes to anybody because, like I've mentioned before, yeah. it's important to have financial literacy. And this classes are for anybody yeah. who doesn't know finance. I learned finance. I've actually um, passed, it's called the Chartered Financial Analyst exam yes. before I went to business school. So I had to learn all of the concepts before I learned them in a formal mm. uh, academic environment. And I remember... Um, myself coming from the computer science background, I couldn't understand what cash flow was. Yeah. I couldn't understand other concepts. For some reason, cash flow was difficult. And I remember some other things that were difficult. And I mm. remembered those when I created courses. And I wanted to um, explain things in a way that would make sense to me, remembering how yeah. it was then. Yeah. So, so it's done on the concept level and not uh, in a difficult uh, <laughs> level that you know would assume that you know something yeah. about finance. And then there is a third aspect, which is the community. We publish a lot of content. We, you know, I do a lot of podcasts uh, because there are a lot of questions that everybody has. Yes. And um, they don't necessarily have to be technical. And if you can disseminate information in an effective way, you can help other founders not to repeat mistakes that others yeah, have made uh, before them and really accelerate their journey to uh, fulfillment and yeah. change. I can hear in your voice that uh, speaking finance is certainly your love language. <laughs> so naturally working with finances, it's incredibly powerful, but it can be incredibly technical. Yes. Have you, tell me about some success stories where you've worked with, you know, businesses and they've come out the other end where they're like, oh my goodness, I understand what I should be doing now, or I understand what this should look like. 
Well, all of my clients, uh, when they start working with me, they think that they understand their business. Yes. But as we're creating uh, assumptions for the model, as we're creating the drivers, right, for the brain, like how is the brain going to operate, they uh, understand their business by the end of this process so much deeper. Mm. And it allows them to uncover areas of weaknesses that they haven't thought about before. And um, also figure out whether their plan is feasible or not even before they begin executing mm. it. Because if you can't your plan, if you can make your plan work on paper, yes. there is zero chance that you're going to make it work in real life. Yeah. Of course, if you have a plan and you have a lot of uncertainty, there are a lot of risks that this plan is going to be fulfilled. And that's why it's important to do yes. checkpoints along the way. But if you don't even have a plan or if you have a plan that you can't even make work, then you will let you fail. So essentially, you can look at a business plan and determine whether it's going to be profitable or not. After we do the magic thing of transforming oh. it into a <laughs> oh. financial model. But yes, the way how I look at um, financial modeling is that it's a transformation process of human thought into an executable roadmap that can that explains how to make this thought mm. a reality. And that can be a dream. It can be, you know, a dream can be expressed as a yes. business plan if they're further along or it can be some people come to me and then they don't have a formal business plan mm. but they have an idea of what they want to do and we define uh, all of the aspects of the business plan uh, along the way of course it takes less time if you have a business plan yeah of course you just have to you know answer some of the questions or define some of the logic but um you know, now I'm working with uh, uh, a client that uh, has businesses in two countries already, and mm. they've never had a financial plan. And uh, usually it would take me, let's say, 10 to 15 hours of my time to figure out how a financial model should work before we implement it. With them, it's already taken 50 hours. Yeah, wow. It's so complex. And uh, they would never be able to do it on their own. That's... And uh, it gave them an amazing understanding of how their business is going to grow and evolve and then, you know, how different parts of the business are going to interact with each other. And now, even though the financial model is still in progress of yes. implementing it, uh, when they talk to investors, they can speak intelligently. And mm. they say, yeah, a financial model will be ready in a couple of weeks, but this is what we're planning. These are our goals. This is our go-to-market strategy, pricing strategy. This is what we're planning to do. Yeah, fantastic. That's amazing. I want to pivot now and talk about Power Up, a love of mine um, and a love of yours. Yes. Can you tell me about how you came up with Power Up, what it's about? Absolutely. You know, uh, when I said that I was looking for passion and for a uh, purpose in my life, I really found it with Power Up. This is what I want to do until the rest of my life because I realized for me, helping others gives me the most fulfillment and mm. reward uh, as uh, anything else. And Startup Station, you know, I love Startup Station, but it didn't have this higher purpose of solving for a global inequity problem yes. that Power Up has. So the purpose of Power Up is to bridge the gender funding gap yes. uh, that women entrepreneurs face. As we know, only 2% of capital worldwide goes to women founders, more to mixed teams. If we're going to talk about minorities, the percentages are going to be less. We're going to talk about emerging markets, the percentages are going to be less. There is an inequity on one side and there is an economic need on another side because women represent you know, at least half of the population, maybe mm. a little more in some countries. And there is a huge economic opportunity to give them uh, access to capital and to fund ventures that can serve this um, audience so that GDP can be increased, jobs can be created, and economic growth can be stimulated. And so I, for the past two and a half years, have been teaching at uh, Bank of America Institute of Women's Entrepreneurship at Cornell. 
It's Amazing. a program funded by Bank of America, taught at Cornell, graduates, 100,000 uh, women entrepreneurs per year. And even though my expertise is finance, for some reason, and I would say that's the universe is doing, I've been assigned to teach growth leadership or communications. Mm. You know, sometimes I taught finance, but most often. And because I took those courses, I got a first-hand look into challenges that specifically women entrepreneurs Yes. And as I was thinking that I should really do a finance program for female entrepreneurs, and I didn't quite know how it's going to look. I knew it can't just be the classes that I already had. It has to be something more. And uh, eventually, last year, I created this program with my dear co-founder, Hemp Hampton, who is a chief revenue officer, so he helps companies scale from the sales perspective. Because if you think about it, strategy and finance are intricately connected. Mm. And that's why, you know, when I talk about creating financial models, I talk about managing and modeling strategic decisions. So if you have a strategy, but you don't know its financial feasibility yes. or how many resources it's going to take or how much capital it's going to require, that strategy is useless. Mm. So you don't even know if you can execute it, right? Uh, on that flip side, if you have a financial model, but you don't have a strategy, then what is this financial model? Yeah. Right? Then the goals will never be realized because they're disjointed from the way that the company operates. And that's why a lot of the models out there, if they don't have this logic that I'm talking about that really connects... Uh, what the leadership team is going to do with the outcomes that I expect from those decisions. If you miss that logic, then the projections are not as useful mm. because there's no intelligence that will be passed from realizing or not realizing certain financial results. So we've created the program that addresses two parts of the equation, and it's for ventures that are not so young because there are a lot of programs on the market already that address ventures at the very beginning. Mm. You know, you just have an idea, you want to validate the product market fit. We wanted to help them at the next stage. Okay. So this program is for ventures that have just raised their first professional round of capital, that have a staff of five, that have a few paying clients, and they need to get to the next stage. Mm. They need to traverse the traction gap. So they need to scale from 1 million to 20 million, from five employees to 15 employees. Yes. A lot of the times it's at that point that people are not able to do it because they lack strategic sales and financial expertise. Mm. Because this is what you need at that point. And if you come from the product or technical background, that's not going to be when you know. So we're solving for that expertise gap. And that is specific to male or female adventures, just specific to the stage in which yeah, startups okay. are in. Uh, the way this is uh, solved is by a combination of an initial boot camp where we put together a two-year roadmap for companies to execute on and then seven quarterly check-ins to make sure that they stay on track, help them react to any opportunities, uh, address any challenges, and make sure that they um, stay on the overall goal yeah. of raising financing by the end of the two years. But for women, there were three more problems to be solved. One of them is what's uh, often referred as a confidence gap, but what I like to refer is the difference in brain, brains gap or the difference in thinking gap, where the way that we perceive risk is different the way how we think about what we should or should not do is different. Mm. And so and because of those differences, we may make decisions in a way that is different from men. Now, this is information, but it's not an indictment. And as long as we have information and we have certain techniques that can help change our approach, we can take different actions. Yeah. And so a critical part of our program is executive group coaching. So the same cohort, which 10 to 12 founders that begins working together in a boot camp, will continue to meet every week. 
and work on their mindset. And after about eight months of doing this work where there is a consistent framework and a consistent support group where all the entrepreneurs will support each other, we expect to see differences in how they see themselves and how they see the potential for their companies and how they respond to opportunities and how they handle stress yeah, that's amazing. or respond to conflict. But it's our goal in two years to produce the next generation of female entrepreneurs that feel mm-hmm. limitless and bold and, you know, not afraid to just like Elon Musk said, hey, I want to go to Mars and he's on yeah. and doing so. We want to produce female entrepreneurs who can come up with ideas that may seem outlandish and they can make it happen. Yeah, I love not that. Not afraid. And there is two other problems that we're solving for female entrepreneurs. One is the lack of access to capital. Now, to investor networks. And, you know, there's some investors out there who are men who say, hey, we'd love to invest in women, we just don't see them in our pipeline. And of course, when you're looking for investments, you're going to go to your trusted sources yeah, because list limits your risk. So if you're not in those networks, you don't have the access that you want. Mm. We want to solve that problem by creating our own Power Up Ambassadors Network. And then um, we're very lucky to have you as one of yes. our ambassadors. And this network is already present in 25 countries on five continents. These are investors, entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, business leaders, academics, and philanthropists who will support our approach to the yeah. gender funding gap. And this can really have two impacts. One is as companies want to expand from one country to another, then ambassadors can make certain introductions and make it easier. But mainly, it's going to improve visibility of the companies in the program to the investor networks that our ambassadors have mm. and solve for that access. And the final piece is data. A lot of investors perceive women as having higher risk. If you have data, it will be much easier to combat the yeah. with concrete results. So any time that we have either a bootcamp, which is the pre-assessment where the companies are starting from, or a quarterly assessment of how well they're doing as the program is going, we're going to collect data with some KPIs specific to the program and some KPIs specific to the company. So by the time that they're gonna go for fundraising about 18 months into the program to allow for a six month fundraise, there's gonna be an 18 month worth uh, of data of the execute and transparency record, which will help de-risk companies in the investors' minds. And will also eventually provide an amazing data set that a lot of institutions can rely on Mm. because we're gonna be running this program the goal is to run this program all over the world. We are uh, launching right now in US, Jordan, and Africa, but this is just the beginning. Uh, and as we have the data from all around the world, industry by industry, it presents an amazing resource of what a support system like what we're creating can do for performance, but also what is the risk that's yeah. involved uh, in female adventures, really. Yeah, because absolutely. There is not no more risk, if not less. No, you have a lot of work on your hands. You, yes. you, you must love it. I love it. It gives me so much energy. And uh, I, you know, I was just thinking um, today that a year ago, I couldn't even imagine uh, how far we'd be able to come and the people that we get to meet and the impact that we're already making even before the program uh, is, begins to officially run. And uh, it's, uh, it's simply incredible. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I want to pivot again and talk more about mindset. So at the beginning, you were talking about, you know, your failed um, film. Yeah. Um, naturally, there's a lot of sort of failed attempts with women or anyone that is looking to create their own business. Can you tell me about any advice that you would give women that are looking to create their own businesses and that are struggling or they're getting no's or they're feeling like they're failing? Um, I would say that having a support network 
So it does not necessarily have to be business advisors. They can be your friends. Uh, it would be amazing if these are entrepreneurs, but it can also just be other people mm. who you trust and where you feel safe, where you can talk through all of your feelings and doubts and where you can uh, start realizing that whatever you're experiencing is simply part of your journey. I yes. believe that if we change our relationship with rejection and failure, it will stop interpreting it as uh, something that is so negative mm. and that's something that means something about us as human beings or it means something about the potential of our venture. If we just gonna think about it, that's just not the way to go in our journey. We should try something new. And in fact, there is a slogan on Facebook, fail faster. Yeah. So the faster you find out that something is not working, you've saved time, mm. right? And um, I really liked what one of the women that I highly admire said in one of the events, Ms. Jamie Kern-Lima. She's also a Columbia Business School graduate like me, and she's built a very successful uh, cosmetics business. Uh, in eight years, sold it for $1.2 billion to L'Oreal. Amazing. She said, rejection is God's protection. Mm. And I thought, huh, so maybe if you start thinking about it, that something worse hasn't happened to you because that didn't work out, it will help deal yes. with uh, whatever is not working. Ultimately, it's up to us to build the defense and coping mm. mechanisms inside us so that we can process um, failure and setbacks yeah. in a healthy way and also deal with conflict in a healthy way because egos get in the way uh, of progress and perfectionism gets in the way of progress. And ultimately, it's our work on ourselves. And I can speak for myself. It's been an incredibly transformative journey to work on those things for me. Um, if you stop focusing on whether you are right or wrong, but rather what is uh, a good thing for the venture and not care so much where the credit belongs, because it's okay to get multiple smart people to yeah. contribute. And it doesn't yeah. matter whether it's your idea or not your idea. And the end of the day, because your dream came mm. through. And if all the people helped you make this dream come true, that how amazing yeah. is that? But so if you keep, uh, I think, this in mind, it can help uh, deal with a lot of things that may get in the way of um, making uh, dreams come true. Yeah, I love that. I've also uh, lived by re rejection as redirection. So similar to what you were saying in that if you're getting re rejected, it's just the universe's way of just like pivoting you to find the right way. So I, I feel like it's easier. And I would say, you know, knowing that setbacks will happen if somebody is struggling out there, it's okay. You're not yes. alone. Everybody has gone through it. There is no successful person who have achieved anything that hasn't failed many, many yeah, times yeah. along the way. And it's their resilience and the ability to, to get us to believe in themselves mm. and believe in their self-worth and the ideas that uh, yeah. kept them going. And I think it's fearlessness. You know, it's uh, it's not deciding in advance for absolutely anything what you can I cannot do because nobody will know in advance. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I can definitely speak about my experience and deciding. And I decided just every day to do everything that I can to towards my dreams that I saw incredible results. Yeah, that's great. I want to talk about competition now. I know that you mentioned that there with the Startup Station, there are other companies that are doing the sort of similar things or even power up. How do you stay true to your own voice and, and navigate the competitors that you may have within their segment? So uh, 
competition is great mm. because uh, it keeps you um, on your toes and uh, it uh, just pushes you to serve your customer base better. And to when you want to create something new, it uh, gives you intelligence into what's already on the market, what has worked and what hasn't worked and where the gaps are so that you mm. can design your solution in a different way. So uh, for um, the startup station, the models that we built that are built in a very specific way where we modeled strategy and connected to financial outcomes is what sets us apart yes. from others, as well as the education component and the community component. For the power-up, there are many differences from other programs out there. So if it's focused on strategic and financial planning, which is uh, not typically the focus for other programs, it's the length of the program, which is two years as opposed to three to six months. Uh, it's the global network mm. of ambassadors as opposed to region-specific or even city-specific where a certain program is run. Uh, focus on the mindset and personal development, definitely absent from all of the programs and data. So I would say all of the components uh, for Power Up is what makes it different. And the reason why we were able to create it is because we researched what other programs yeah. were uh, available out there and what has worked and what hasn't worked. And we've talked to a lot of people um, that helped us create different components yes. of the way. We had some components to begin with, but some of it kind of was bored as we talked to different people and they were saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? From our experience, and this is the problem. And that's how uh, Power Up got to where it is yeah. in terms of structure. Amazing. So a lot of the listeners that we have on She Leads The Way are, they're not yet business owners, but they're, they want to. So they're doing all of the research, they, they have their idea and they're interested in basically bringing it to life. Knowing that you've done this many times, what advice would you give women that are at the point that they're about to launch their business? What should be, they be thinking? Is there anything that they should be doing in, in this moment? Uh, well, the first step is always uh, market research and competitive research. So you want to figure out if you typically you want to start a business because either uh, you have a skill and you want to go on your own and build a mm. business around it, in which case you already have a lot of uh, expertise mm. and then your need becomes to understand what is it that you're going to differently from your competitors and how are you going to find your customers from yes. a marketing perspective. So if this is you, then these are the problems that one should solve. Uh, or it can be, hey, I see a problem that's uh, not being solved in the right way. I have the one who experienced the problem and I come up with a solution. So if that is your situation, <laughs> <laughs> if this is you, <laughs> if this is, this is you, then then it's a whole thing about building a business plan. And if this is your first time doing it, it could be a good idea to go through some program or an accelerator to um, go through a structured process of thinking through different parts of your business just because it's your first time, you may not know mm. the pitfalls and you're gonna get a lot of help, uh, sometimes free help, maybe even an investment to take your business to the next step. On a net um, note, I want to recommend the Bank of America program for female entrepreneurs, which is uh, available to everyone in okay. the world. And it's a free program, you can apply and there is a wait list, I understand it's uh, probably several months uh, but it's a three-month program and six courses that cover all the major aspects of starting your business and I think give a great framework for thinking the aspect that I'm talking about it through. Amazing. That's incredible. I'll put that in the, in the description as well and how people can access that. So I now want to talk about, well, 
where your biggest passion lies. I know that you're also a policy advocate and you're doing a huge amount of work within this realm. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. This is uh, something that came into my life recently, and uh, it's a great complement to the work that I'm doing at PowerUp, which is creating the right ecosystem support to allow female founders to uh, get equitable access to capital and make yes. dreams come true. However, it can also be supplemented with a policy that the impact becomes even greater. So I'm based in the U.S. My work is based in the U.S. In May, I've been asked to join the Leadership Council of the National Small Business Association. It's been um, founded in 1937, 65,000 members, 50 states. I represent the New York State. And uh, in that ability, I'm able to go uh, to local politicians or federal politicians and media and work on issues that are important to me. And when they invited me, I said, well, the issue that's dearer to my heart is the gender funding gap and fair access to capital for yes. women. Are you fine that I'm going to be pursuing those issues? And they gave me carte blanche to use their platform mm. to advocate for whatever issues I like. So I was thinking of how to do it, and then the universe has a very funny way of working out because literally as I was finding the time, and I'm like, now I need to start focusing on lobbying as well, and I need to figure out how to do it. That's not something that I've ever done yet, and yet is the key word. <laughs> pending. <laughs> it's pe pending further discovery. Uh, and I, I'm finding out that there are two bills that are already being passed in Massachusetts and California that wow. have already been written fair access to capital. On top of that, there is a universal bill that's been uh, at SEC since 2021 that can uh, revamp the whole disclosures for the entire asset management industry. And I'm in a position through the networking that I've done for Power Up to actually influence those bills being passed and to start advocating for the one in New York. And I'm now connecting with the people. We're going to have some monthly call to share Amazing. practices. And it's just uh, an amazing place to be and where you know, if I reflect on where I've been a year ago, could I imagine that I could be thinking how to influence the chairman of SEC to sign mm. a bill uh, into existence that can uh, overhaul how the disclosures work and, uh, across the entire asset management industry? That's not even something that I would conceive yeah. of, and yet that is my reality. Like yeah, I wow. have action steps to do along those Congratulations. lines. Congratulations. You are powerhouse superwoman <laughs> do you wake up and look at yourself in the mirror and think i am a superwoman well you should <laughs> i should start you should start that. doing that, start doing that. <laughs> you'll be able to fly out yeah. the window <laughs> yeah. well yeah i i wake up and i definitely i use affirmations i know you use affirmations yes, i do and uh i believe that they work and visualizations work because your brain constantly works like a machine identifying how to make whatever you want happen if yes. you constantly reinforce it yes fantastic amazing congratulations and i think lastly we should celebrate our partnership in our working together so obviously she leads the way and power up we're family now i would yes. say to an extent yes it's very exciting. I'm so excited that we are media partners. And then she leads the way. We'll be able to showcase so many amazing stories of yes. uh, women leaders around the world. I think it's so important because uh, when we see somebody else uh, make her dream come true yeah. and talk about her journey and how um, they have overcome challenges, suddenly a path becomes possible. Mm. And suddenly whatever challenges you have, or at least I have, when I hear somebody uh, inspiring talk about them, they don't seem so big, they seem surmountable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about coming together and understanding that we're able to conquer absolutely anything that we set our minds to. But beyond that, we're also wanting to bridge the gender funding gap as well. So we have a big task on our hands 
but I think that we'll I think that we'll conquer it. Good change comes ahead. Yes. <laughs> One step at a time. One step at a time. So, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us on She Leads the Way. It's, it was such a pleasure having you and meeting you and seeing you face to face. I know that there's going to be many, many years ahead for us, but I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And the next time in Dubai? Yes, next time in Dubai. Absolutely. Thanks for watching She Leads the Way. We were here with Victoria Young-Polsky. I'm your host, Nikki Bedford, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.